Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited first to welcome my co-host, David Hollenbach of Hollenbach Leadership. David, how are you? I know you're excited about your our guest. And again, I was p- giving him problems because he never picks the Steelers every year to go to the Super Bowl. But David, thanks for stopping by. No, thanks for having me. All right, we've got Sean Salisbury. Everyone knows him. NFL analyst. Remember in the days, ESPN, everything now with the Believe Podcast Network for the podcast. Sean, thanks for stopping by. And did you ever think, you know, with your career in the NFL, because we all know and how well you played in the pros and in also college, that you would be so well known as an, an NFL analyst. You're like one that you look <laughs> in that list of NFL analysts throughout the years that you would be so well known that everyone knows your name a lot of ways. Did you think that would happen for you? Well, you hope Neil, and thank you for having me on Dave. It's great to, great to see you. I appreciate you guys. And I'm always humbled when somebody has me on because I, you know, my mother, when she was alive, I started to take the trash out at home. So I'm not even a household name in my own home, but um, yeah, you know what you go, it's, it's, it's strange. You know, when people see all those years, you play football and you say, okay, somebody can talk to you about football or all the years you're doing something else an analyst. I mean, they do always remind everybody, you and John Clayton. I probably get that more in airports, you know, on four downs than anything we've ever done. I guess growing up, you know, my dad said, you're going to make it with your mouth and your right arm. You'll put that brain together. You don't want to do what I do. And he was a blue collar construction worker. So I get I never thought about it, Neil, to be honest with you, in the career. I was never in it. And maybe that helped to I hope somebody recognized me walk the airport. I always took it as a compliment because. It meant that I was doing good work. Now, not everybody that walked through the airport like you, like if I didn't pick your Steelers, not everybody liked what I had to say, but that's okay. I was never, I never made it personal. I I always was, I tried to be fair to the player and not talk under the expert or over the person who may not have ever watched football. And I was always just, I, I like to say prepared my ass off, but I was fair and honest and transparent, but opinionated. That's what they paid me to do. So It's truth with my football career. You know, you always wish that I'd have won five Super Bowls and I'd have been been a career like Big Ben or Tom Brady, but it didn't happen. I was able to play 10 years. And I guess the reason why people do is when I was on TV 12 years, it felt like every day, probably people got like, I'm tired of seeing this cat on TV, but I worked at it and I think I was respectful. And when you've played it, but also respectful of the players, but also not afraid to criticize or compliment. I, 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 I always, guys, and I'll just tell you this real quick. When I went on television, this is honest to God truth from the day one. I had my boss tell me, tell me something I don't know. And you don't have to get everything in in one show because NFL Live was five days a week. And so my goal was to just try to be great at try to be great at it. Good first and great and get a clue and learn from Dan Patrick and Stuart Scott and Rich Eisen and Mike Tirico, the the, the best of the best on how to do television, the mechanics, because I knew I would always be prepared. And so when they when they put you on there and the boss said, tell me something I don't know and you don't have to get it all in. And I I learned a great deal that day to just look into the camera and pound hard one or two topics. And it worked. But I never went in thinking I got to do this to be popular. I did it to be good. And I every single show for 12 years I went on. And this is I promise you as I'm sitting here. My first thought was if Bill Belichick is watching. What would he say? And that's truth in my mind. I wanted to know whether he was or wasn't. Was I saying something where he'd say that guy's full of crap or okay. Now he knows because I said, well, if you want to play quarterback, you want to be Brady. If you want to be coach, if it's now you want Andy Reid or you want Bill Belichick, you want to make sure that those guys. And then I always wanted to teach that if somebody that was watching for the first time tuned in, would I be able to teach them something? So, but to make a long, a great question too long, I, I never thought about being more popular in any of it. I wanted to be good. And it turns out when you're in a coat and tie on TV every day, you seem to get noticed more than you do behind a helmet. Plus, I was probably a little bit better at talking it than throwing it. So I understand that. Well, but it's just it's great to continue to have that career life after football. And so many people have those props. Go ahead, David. Right, what sure. do you want to ask 
Sean, before we go into the Believe podcast, because we have a short time with him. But go ahead, David, with your question. No, the the one question that that came up as you were talking was, you know, through your career, you've held these leadership positions, you know, being quarterback in your college career and the NFL. And, and then now you're in a role where you're passing on knowledge through your career. You've had to pick up bits of wisdom. What is one piece of wisdom that you've made your own and passed on to others? Uh, a lot of them. And you'll look Dave behind me and I can't see as I'm getting my office, but about 30 of the books behind me are all leadership books, mm. books I've learned. And, and I, you guys know this, Neil and Dave, you take something good from somebody all the time. You know, a guy, oh, this is good. This is great. Five of those pieces. And then you learn what you'd like to like get the clutter out. Right. I, I guess, you know, first off, I'm going to tell you the greatest advice I ever got when interviewing people. And I think that's a great, you know, you, we do it all the time on our shows, right? Guys, no matter what we, how do, how do get people to feel comfortable? And there is an art to it that we still try to master. And I, I believe Dan Patrick's the best interviewer I've ever I learned so much from Dan Patrick. So Listen, it's, it's an honor to say that I'm going to go back to you and we'll go back and forth just because, man, I learned from Mike Golick, Dan yep. Patrick, morning show. I never thought I'd be sitting here talking to Sean Salisbury. Well, I did not. I, I did not. I didn't. And I never thought I'd get the chance to interview Mike Golick, which I got to. And I well, said, we should be talking I, to you and saying, what do you, you're, 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 you're do a great job. So we're, we're honored to be on with yeah, you. So, but I mean, just, I just learned from you guys. I sat and work doing a job. I didn't like listening to all you guys on the radio or on television and saying, and I just created my own thing, but I never thought that would happen. So Someday, and I have dreams beyond dreams, but you're right. You pick up right. those different wisdom, but go ahead, go back. And, and we still, and I'm, I'm with you. We, we, I, I'm the same way. I still think like a kid, like I want to learn from that. And here at my age, I still believe that the best part of my career is still in front of me because while we all talk, I, I, I learned a long time ago that to have two ears and one mouth and when smarter people are talking to use them accordingly. But Dave, I, I love the question and I think about it all the time. And when it comes to the interview part, I remember I was doing an interview with Dan when I was doing his show, he and Rob Dibble and I, and I asked a question because it was in my infancy of this career. Normally it's used to being asked the question and I, and I asked the question and it was too long. I didn't know it was too long. And I, you ask the question and then you try to tell the person you're interviewing what you know, and then you re-ask the question. So we got done and Dan and I went and Dan took me aside. He goes, let me give you a little, a little and as Dan, as only Dan can, and he's one of my best friends in the world as we wow. develop that relationship. But, he said, listen, he goes, you have a guest on for a reason. He goes, think about the questions of why, how, when. He goes, sometimes that's the best response. So he goes, you don't have to tell everybody. We got the guest on. You can talk about it when the guest is done. We go back and talk. Utilize it. Get as many questions as you can. So I learned to be very minimalist in, in interviewing. Like in a game, you watch Pat Summerall. Summerall was so good at just down and distance. The play, Madden went crazy, you know, did his thing. And I watched Dan, and Dan has a way of getting a, a guy comfortable early, asking him a question that's not four questions in one and going, you know, belaboring a point. He asks the question, the guy answers it, Dan retees. And the key is Dan listens during an interview. And so I learned instead of write 40 questions down, which I don't write them down anymore, the initial yeah. one, and then I'm feeding off a guy and say, okay, because you miss too much if you're too worried about the next one you miss out on what what you may be pouncing on. So I learned to interview, and, and I'm not good at much, but I've learned to be a good interviewer because the guy I have on, he's a guest for a reason. And and Dan, there there will not be a better sports interviewer than Dan Patrick. There may be a lot that are, there's a lot that are really good. So that's one piece of wisdom. And, and I guess for me that knowing that I wasn't a first-round draft pick in this business, how was I going to carve it to where I was looked at as a first-round analyst or a first-rate analyst. I had been to don't just whatever you control what I can control in my preparation and in my opinion. And if you're afraid in this business to give a strong opinion, then you will wilt and, and go away and never make it personal. So those things I've applied. And these books behind me, there's a quote here or this. And I always learned that if you're going to be a great leader, don't tell them how to do it. Show them first. Yeah. And I've tried to do that. And in the second part of it, I, I think that it's important that I've learned how to manage tasks and lead people. And there is a difference. I don't manage people. 
I manage tasks and lead people. So it comes from different areas, but I think I probably learned more about the business just watching and listening to Dan and tough love from Dan. And then the analyst part, watching great analysts that pound it, do it, and get it done right. And you, you take something good from everybody. And I know there's a lot smarter people in the room than me. So it's been a great benefit for my career. I mean, you worked with so many different people at ESPN, Sean. That, I mean, you met, I, I couldn't imagine being in Connecticut and who you've met and what celebrities and what huge, huge superstars, which I consider you like uh, one of those people when you mentioned that name. What You talked about leadership. What leaders are you learning from? And are you looking to try to carve out some of these leaders and be your next part of your career, speaking and motivating people? Are you on that route, like a Lou Holtz or different things of how some of these people, what they've done? What leaders are you reading books from? And where do you see yourself going? I I'm, I appreciate that. And yes, it, real quick, it is. But think about the gauntlet of talent that I was for 12 years. Man. Dan. Mike Golicks, Mike Greenberg, Stuart Scott, Rich Eisen, Michael Irvin was there, Mike Golick, Mark Schlereth. Uh, it's Kenny Main, John Butchie Gross, John Anderson, Carl Ravitch. I mean, it, it is, quite frankly, it's an embarrassment of riches in town. Susie Culber, Linda Cohn, both Hall of Famers in my mind. I mean, it goes on, and it doesn't stop there. The people behind the scenes that pushed you and put you in position to be successful, like the intern or the pr production assistant who sprints down the hallway to make sure the highlight is ready for you and doesn't get mentioned unless you take them to dinner and, in truth, is going to own and run their own business someday and be a star. I, I can tell you the talent that I ran across in that building was not only in front of the camera, behind it was off the charts. And as far as, you know, great, I'm a, a Stephen Covey, and I do, I read them all, whether it's oh. the best year ever, whether it's the mind of a leader, trust and inspire by Stephen Covey's son, which was one of the best books I've ever read. Leaders Eat Last by, si I mean, but uh, uh, kind. And I, I mean, I, and I read them all. They're not just, uh, they're, you know how you get it, you open up, you got a briefcase and there's a sandwich in it. I do read them all. And I just got my master's degree at 59 years old from Texas A&M last December. Oh, congrats. I promised, my, I promised my mother and father that I was going to go get, and it's in, it's in the, you know, uh, sport management division. I promised my mom and dad at USC's graduation. I was going back to get my master's. I finished in a little more than a year and a half. Both of them have passed away. My mother was alive when I started it. And so I, I got that. And that goes back to Dave, what you're talking about, Neil, about leadership and taking something. So yes, I actually, the next part of my career would love to write a feel good book about how to hit rock bottom and bounce back up and take something from leaders. But for me, Public speaking, I would love to be in a speaker's bureau where I go around doing 40 of those a year. I have no idea why you've not done it yet. You're, well, you're... Between coaching quarterbacks and this, I want to. And I, I haven't pushed it enough, but now with this, I don't know. I guess a master's degree, maybe people think I'm smarter, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. I just worked at it. So hopefully I can apply it. But that is the next level. I've been fortunate to do great you know, TV and radio and still doing it and able to teach quarterbacks and train them. But yeah. I have a, I have a burning desire and a yearning to, to, to go and stand it. And I've done, you know, uh, some fortune 500 speeches as a player and early on at ESPN, but I am so committed to learning and teaching now again, that I would love to start doing it. And hopefully there's a step there that the next step where it's a consistent thing, not just, you know, eight of them a year. I would love to help you. We're going to definitely talk off air. Carl Mecklenburg is the best at this. He phenomenal. does a phenomenal job at it. But again, I think you should be on go on Gary V's show, and that would get you even more knowledge now with the younger generation. And oh, Gary V would talk about the Jets. You need to reach out to him. That's my I'm take. All, I'm all in. Fair enough. Oh, oh yeah, but we have listen, to definitely like said, talk about I'm, it. Because the I'm, new I'm not digital... too proud to beg, brother. I'm not too okay, proud okay, to beg. I'm okay, okay, okay. All right, David, next question. I, I I let our last guest, who's an Emmy Award music guy, coming on next. But let's go, David, with one more question before we talk about the Believe Podcast Network with Sean. Go ahead, Dave. Well, my next question was about the podcast, you know, how he ended up. Well, I'll just ask, how did you end up doing a podcast and and – what do you like more, being in front of the camera or, you know, hosting a podcast show? What, 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 I've bowled that over a lot. I think we all like, as we joke around when we were at ESPN, we say, man, we got to have the moneymaker on TV, right? When in truth, it's, it's not much of a moneymaker. But I, I, I loved the 
urgency of live television, Dave. Loved it. Where the lights, I can, real quick story. On Monday Night Countdown, sitting in Chris Berman, as we know, one of the guys, a legend. And to show you how good he is, I can remember we were getting ready to do Monday Night Countdown. And I was there. It was in the middle of my career at ESPN. And the directors in my ear says, Sean, is Boomer in studio yet? And on a live show, when it says 6 o'clock, it doesn't mean 6.01, right? It's We're going it live, and it ends at the right time. And I said, no, he's not in yet. He'll be here. I said, you know, he'll be here. And Boomer, you know, the tie's to the right, and he's putting the jacket on, and you're like, he's frazzled. He's going and talking fast, and you're like, but this guy is such a stud. So I sit there and watch, and it gets down the count. Now, we're, we're inside of 30 seconds, and we're doing Monday Night Countdown Live, and then it's to 15. Sean, is he in studio? No. And boom, door pops open. And Boomer comes in, he's fixing up his tie, comes and set, and he's going 10, 9, sets his scripts down and fixes it, puts his earpiece in, you know, and he's ch- talking and getting ready, and 3, 2. And all of a sudden, like he'd been sitting in the chair for an hour, ready to stare at the camera, goes, it's a special Thursday night edition of Monday Night Football. The greatest. My point is, he jumped right in as if he didn't miss a beat, right? So some of us sat in that chair for 10 minutes and a guy like that pops in and gets you rolling. So we, I love the urgency of live TV like that, like right. damn boomer. And then bam, he goes and wins and he's as good as it's ever been at that, at that network. Um, the urgency of live TV and to be on time and to look into the camera without having to think about it. That's one. I like the long form and be able to explain where it's not a 30 second or 60 second. Yes. Segment. So that's how I got it, you know, podcasting and that's the wave and people want it quick bursts now, which is becoming more urgent. But I like the ability to talk all sports. I'm, I'm actually like baseball and basketball more than football. So a podcast has also created the ability for me to study and try to be expertise in other sports that I loved more playing and I loved more talking about. And football is what I do. So I would say podcasting and radio first, although I'm not going to turn down an opportunity to you know, go on there and battle with Stephen A. Smith for a couple hours on one of those shows, which would be great in the morning. I love the debate part of sports on television. I love the long form fans involved and ex- mm-hmm. and the, the being able to dive into a topic and talk about it for two straight hours without interruption. I do like that. All right. Well, fantastic. People could check out your podcast again in Belize Podcast Network. Do you have a website and stuff people can check you out? Uh, you know what? They can go to Sean Unfiltered on Twitter and you can find me. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty simple and not a lot of high maintenance. And obviously catch me on believe. And I am now the president of, I want you to get this new app. It's called PSF pro sports fans. It is the best fan friendly app in the country and it is coming and it is fast and furious and you're going to love it. Go get it. PSF it's free and you're going to love it. So I was named the president of that in January and we've just kicked it off for baseball season and football season is going to be un real go check it out guys i'd love you to get on all right oh we definitely will all right you're listening and watching the neil haley show and we'll be back in just a- we're back to neil haley show and i'm first excited to welcome my co-host david hollenbach of hollenbach leadership david how are you and we're talking to again former cowboy and also believe podcaster jesse holly jesse thanks for stopping by man and let's go right into the beginning and, and about did you always want to be a professional football player jesse um, I, no, I didn't. Honestly, I didn't. Um, football, not even my first love. Basketball is my first love. It's, it's what, it's what attracted me to sports. It gave me my first kind of feeling of, of a team. And it was really the first time in my life that I, I wanted to be a part of something in a positive manner was when I first found basketball in the sixth grade. Uh, uh, and that happened on a whim. I was literally roaming the streets and a friend of mine came by on a bike and was like, what are you doing? I was like, ah, nothing. He's like, well, come on, get on the bike. Let's go. I'm going to go to practice. And I went and they had nine guys and needed the 10th. And I I, I played. I was like, I, I kind of like this. And I, I had a little attitude at first, but I, I knew that one day I wanted to do something in the professional athletic realm. Never thought it was going to be football. I didn't like contact. I didn't like to be hit. I didn't like to hit anyone in that type of manner. So uh, the, the fact that football turned out to be <laughs> The life-changing thing for me is ironic, but uh, but I'm so thankful for it. Yeah, David. Yeah, no, I um, I'm curious if if you did play 
basketball and high school, college and all that, do you think it would have uh, taken you away from uh, football? Yeah, I did play basketball in high school and college. Oh, right. Um, yeah, I was I was pretty good. I was pretty good in basketball as well. I was uh, I was an all American in two sports in high school, wow. and had uh, you know scholarship offers to go just about anywhere I wanted in the country. Um, played two years at North Carolina uh, basketball. I was a backup guard there. Won a national championship in two thousand five. But by that time, I had realized um, my 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 team had four lottery picks on it. We had the number two pick, five pick, ten pick, and a thirteenth pick. And from there, I was kind of like, this is this is old school basketball. This was like traditional point guard, traditional two, traditional three, traditional four, traditional five. Not, you know, not the, what we have today. So back then I was like, man, there's 15 roster spots. There's two point guards, two shooting guards. And I wasn't a prolific scorer enough to be a shooting guard at six foot three. And that in that era, I was like, but football over here, I'm kind of good at this. And I had a better chance of probably making it professionally. Um because I didn't want to go overseas. I know a lot of guys that went overseas and I just kind of wasn't into like leaving and going way over to some foreign country to play basketball. And uh, I was like, I'm just going to take my shot at football. And, you know, it worked out. It worked out. So what did you play college, play college ball? University of North Carolina. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. when you were at UNC, how good were you guys? If you're talking about all those – Really? We, won a, we won a national championship in 2005. Roy's, Roy Williams' first national championship. Oh, man. So yeah. you're talking about playing with such superstars. How much did you learn about that? in Because, again, it doesn't show in your bio on Wikipedia that much about you in college basketball as much as, you know, you're talking about your NFL career. Thinking about playing, winning a national championship is almost as big as winning a Super Bowl in so many aspects and play with such amazing players. And you said all these lottery picks. What did you learn in basketball and being a two sport athlete? Because you kind of are like almost like a Dion in a way in college, you know? Yeah, I, I wouldn't compare myself to Dion. <laughs> uh, but I learned, you know, the greatest thing that I learned was to, to be a well rounded athlete because on one, on one take, in football, I was adored, I was admired, I was needed, I was, I was, I was the man in all in all accounts. And then on football, it was more so of, hey, you have to do all the dirty work. And so you 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 now have to guard Raymond Felton and Rashad McCann. These are lottery picks, right? And you 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 now have to be on the scout team. You now have to help make these guys better. And you you now become the second and third option on the football field. I was the number one option as a receiver at Carolina. So it was kind of like, it was kind of like a give and take, but what it did was it helped me on both sides become a better practice player and a better game player. Because on the football side, I could, I could yell at a guy who was on the practice squad to go harder because I knew that I put in the work of what it took for a starter. And on the other side, when I was, you know, a backup, it, it let me know how hard I had to help that starter prepare. So it kind of gave me both aspects of it, you know, how to watch film, how to look at little nuances when I'm, when I'm, you know, if they go, Hey, you're going to, you're playing, we're playing Duke this week and you have to, you know, simulate what JJ Reddick does. So I have to go and study JJ Reddick and learn how he comes off screens, how he squares up, how he takes one dribble to the right and pull up jump shot, all his favorite moves. So then it helped me on the other side when I was going to watch film, how to break down different things on either side of the ball to make me a better player. So it was kind of like, it was, it was, it was great because I had the best of both worlds. I always, whenever I, I get an opportunity, like hearing you talk, um, well, one, I'm wondering like where you grew up and you, and you said that you kind of had, uh, you know, you had a little bit of anger when you first started playing sports and I, I'm wondering where that came from. And then, as you move through your career, the different coaches and the different leadership styles that you encountered, how did that shape you and and develop you? Yeah, I was uh, you know born and raised in uh, in New Jersey, Roselle, New Jersey, and uh, I was raised by my grandmother, um, uh, my, myself, and my two brothers. Um, you know, we lived a, we lived a very poor life. My grandmother made thirty thousand dollars a year. Um, didn't have a mom. My sensei didn't have a mom. My mom was alive, but she was a drug addict. My father was a drug dealer. And so, you know, didn't have that dynamic. And so I spent a lot of the early portion of my life in the streets. Um, so getting in and out of trouble, um, doing different things. Uh, you know, I tell people now, like 
you know, as my athletic skills developed, like the kind of the OGs of the streets wouldn't let me kind of be on the ab and do drugs. They didn't let me sell drugs, hang out. But what I did was we stole cars. So there was always an edge about me. There was always an edge. When you when you come up in the street, you have to have an edge about you, right? Because it's either it's either kind of, you know, you know, be a wolf or be, you know, food for a wolf. And so you you develop a you develop an edge, you develop this this level of toughness. And I think that's carried me. That's you know, the negative aspect I turned into a positive because being able to be tough, being able to be street smart, being able to be um uh, versatile in everything that I did. Uh, you know, all those things. And one of the my, the greatest leader for me was my grandmother. She just was always hardworking. and showed you just how to be um, solid. And again, I, I come from a, a time where there were principles, even in the street, there were still principles. There was still kind of, I guess, honor among thieves. There was still a code of ethic that you that you carried. And, and, and I've always carried that with me. And I've always been a person that's been dependable, that's been honorable, that's been admirable, um, that's going to do what I say I'm going to do. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes I bad. You know, my grandmother used to tell me at times, she would say, you know, always be a man of your word. And I was like, okay, cool. She was like, in everything. She goes, because if you say it, then you have to do it. So she goes, be, be, be very, very wise with your words. And she was like, even if you tell somebody, you're going to smack the hell out of them. You have to now do it. Because what you don't want is for them ever to think that you're saying it and you're bluffing. So it's things like that, and 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 that's that's a that's a lesson that I've I've kept with me today. Not that I want to smack anybody, but just being a man of my word, right? So being very conscious and cautious about the things that I say, the promises that I make. Am I able to live up to those things? And being able to say, no, I can't do it. Yes, I can do it. I'll be there. I won't be there. Whatever that may be, um, you know, all those things have 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 carried me through life, being a dependable teammate, knowing that I'm going to be in the foxhole with you, knowing that no matter what, no matter how I feel about you, no matter what you've done to me, if my job is to block this guy or run this route off or, or, or fill up this gap on kickoff, that I'm going to do it. You can, you can, you can bet you can set your watch to it that Jesse Holly is going to do what he said he's going to do, no matter how I feel, but because I made the commitment to do it. And, and that's, that's something that I think is a quality that a lot of people don't have. Uh, nowadays, but I just, you know, I, I do what I say I'm going to do, and, and I'm I'm a, I'm accountable, I'm reliable, um, and and that that right there is enough for me. Wow, you know, and so that process, you, what you learned, how do you make sure when you've gone through your career and stuff that you didn't take some of the bad qualities that you learned that weren't really great growing to move forward in your life to not go fall back like some athletes have. What do you think it was mentoring? You think it's different people that you went through that really taught you some of the ways to work on not bringing back some of that? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, for me, it's 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 coming through life and um, having nothing, then getting something, then losing it and then getting it back again. I know that life is far too valuable to just keep giving it away. I know that in my life that you don't you don't get many opportunities to do what I did. Right. I go from a place where statistically I'm supposed to be dead or in jail. Right. Raised by a single grandmother, less than three thousand dollars. That's poverty. That, that's living in poverty. You know, you're not supposed to go to a division one university, graduate with a degree in communication and then be one percent of one percent and play four and a half years in the National Football League. I understand that um, there's enough people that's been around me that I've seen fail. Um, I'm, I'm a good I'm, I'm one of those people where I can look over there and go, you know what? I'm actually going to learn from your lesson. And if you said the stove was hot and I see the burn marks in your hand, guess what? I'm probably not going to touch it now, you know, and, and that's one of been the biggest thing. And I've seen lives being destroyed because of um, just foolishness. And I realize that I have a lot to give to the world um, and I have a platform through what I've done. Uh, and then, of course, my uh, you know, I don't know. This is but my faith, my faith. in I got to have my show, my, my faith in Jesus Christ. Um, it always is a reminder for me is, is that I'm I'm here for a reason. And um, I tell this all the time to young people is my name is not just my name. Right. When you say Jesse Holly, there are a bunch of other people who share that name. I have brothers. I have a mom. I have aunties. I have, you know, I, there's a bunch of people. And then on top of that, I have a bunch of people that go, that's my friend. That's my homeboy. That's my whatever. And the minute I do something wrong, those people now look like fools because because a lot of people will come back and go, that's your boy, right? 
then you then weren't you the one to scream at the top of your lungs about Jesse Holly? Oh, look, he's arrested. So I, I take that with me every single day that my name is just not my name, that it has far greater meaning than just outside of it has far greater meaning outside of just me. And I'm going to go and I'm going to give David, even though I'm not to the level you are uh, as a brand, you know, you Google me, I'm out there so much. I sometimes forget about that. I forget. Yeah. I think I'm normal. You know, I'm a former professional wrestler, but I don't have the, I didn't have the Google ability that I have now with the celebrity right. views and just finding me all the way online everywhere. I never, I kind of forget that Jesse and what, what recommendation you do that? Cause you know, you kind of forget that sometimes you want to be normal and you walk around and people Google you or look at you and then say, Oh man. And then they see you differently. How do you I never, I never forget. I never forget. We live in a day and time now where everything, everyone's watching me, no matter where I go. And, and, and you never recognize it. Um, you go into a store, right? I remember going into the grocery store and standing at the, at the, at the, at the counter to, to get some lunch meat sliced. And I'm ordering my lunch meat and someone randomly walks up to me and go, I know that voice. And I look at him and I go, I don't know. He goes, no, I know that voice. And they're like, you're Jesse Holly. And I go, yeah, just randomly. So for me, I never, I never, ever, ever forget that I'm always being watched. I never forget that, um, you know, what I do in the dark will come to light. And so, and that way for me, I, I live, I try, I try. And I'm not this perfect saint. I am far from perfect. I'm far from the saint. But I try to just do things right. If I do things right and I do things in an honorable manner, then no matter who's watching, the outcome will be good, right? And, and if I fall short of that, I fall short of that. But I'm always, I'm, I am always in the mind frame of I'm not regular. I'm not. I'm, I know that I'm not. I, I haven't been regular for a very long time. I live the large majority of my life in the public, and that's okay. But I'm always mindful of that. I'm always mindful of how I treat people. And it's not a front that I put on. This is who I am, and and that part I'm okay with. I'm okay. One of the one of the greatest qualities that I think that I have is I'm perfectly fine with being Jesse Holly in any atmosphere, because I don't. You're going to get the same. Whether I'm in a room full of doctors, I'm in a room full of celebrities, I'm in a room full of poor people, I'm in a room full of kids, I'm in a room full of old folks. I am going to be the exact same person every single time, so that no one. You can never say that he was this or that. This, no. I'm perfectly fine with who I am and being who I am. And people either like it or they don't. And I'm perfectly okay with that as well. I'm going to talk about, I was gaslit by a celebrity on Clubhouse. Uh, your social audio app, it's dying, but I'm trying to bring it back. And I just, I always believe in humble because there's always somebody else that's going to humble you. So you have to always take that respect for everyone that you talk to and develop. In the days, I'm, a, I'm six foot 10. So when I was a professional wrestler taking pictures with people and different things like that, I always learned, you know, you got to treat everyone with respect because it'll come back to you and you have to be that. And I don't understand the people with those egos. Like uh, I could talk to celebrities I've talked to their egos, but you're, you're so awesome. Go ahead, David, with your question for Jesse. No, it's funny. Uh, one of the things that uh, Jesse, one of the things that you said was, um, you know, you, you came from nothing, you built, you got into the top 1%, you lost it, you came back. And that really made me think one of the things that uh, Neil and I just talked about the other day was, you know, this saying that I, I use in my book, I sign it when I sign my books, but it's be humble or be humbled. Yeah. And I feel like it's exactly what you were just saying. Um, I mean, that's what it means to me. And, uh, and I was just wondering if, if it rings true for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, 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 you know, in the Bible, it talks about, you know, pride comes before the fall. Right. And so we can we can poke our chest out all we want. I believe that there's always been a higher power that's been guiding my life. And I don't deserve half the stuff that I have. Not even close. I I, I haven't been a good enough human being to 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 say that I live the lie that I lived. I, I really haven't, you know, but I get a chance to do that every single day. I get a chance to say that I am the only person in NFL history that's ever made the NFL off a reality TV show. <laughs> 
No one else can say that. Like, how cool is that to say that I'm one of one in a league of one percent, right? And so, I, um, I try to, I, you know, humble is 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 a place where I come from, and I, I just try, I try not to ever forget that. I try never, I never forget what it felt like when I was an eight year old kid and didn't know where my next meal was going to come from. Right. And at the end of the day, like no matter what I did, whether I was Cowboys or Patriots or Bengal or Tar Heel or whatever it is. I'm human. I'm a man, just like everyone else. I cry, I bleed, I feel, yeah. I hurt, I love, I fail, I succeed. I just happen to do it at a, I just, you just happen to see mine, right? You just happen to see mine on display because of my profession, but I'm no different than the next man. And, and sometimes it, it can get away from you. It, it, it truly can get away from you when you have all the, the, the love and the adoration from people and they're telling you that you're greater than you're the yeah. next best thing. It, it, you lose yourself in that sometimes. Yeah, you, you need to mentor people like you need to definitely mentor people like that, Jesse, that are on there, especially platforms like Clubhouse that think they're so bigger than life. And you, so let's talk about the reality show. I don't know that. I mean, I read it in the bio, but I didn't understand it. Explain why it was so big for you to do that reality show. Well, at that particular time, I had been out of I had been out of the NFL for about a year and a half. I was broke. I was poor. I was living on a friend's futon in Durham, North Carolina. I was working as a security guard from 11 at night to 7 in the morning. I would train from 7.30 to 9.30. Then I would go and work at T-Mobile, right, from, from 10 to 3 every single day. And, and just a sidebar, I said this the other day. One of the, one of the greatest things about that period of time in my story was people don't even realize that I don't even talk about it much. But every Tuesday and Thursday, during that time, that year and a half, almost two years, I volunteered for free at the YMCA and I coached the basketball team of some underprivileged kids. And it was just not because I wanted to. I was tired, but it was, I felt like that was my moment of giving back. Even, even in the most downhardened part of my life, my, 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 this is who I am. I wanted to go and to give what knowledge and influence that I may have had over those kids uh, and give it back and give back to them. And I did that for a year and a half. And then I got this random call uh, one night from the public relations person at the University of North Carolina, a guy by the name of Kevin Best. And I had been two years removed from school. And he just called. He said, hey, Jess, these people called me about this reality show that they're making up. I don't know much about it, but I, just, I wanted to call you to tell you that I gave them your name and number. So be looking for a call. And I looked for a call and these guys called me a couple of days later. They couldn't tell me much about it, but there was this reality team that they were putting on and they were looking for guys um, who had the uh, charisma to be in front of the camera, but the skills to play on Sunday. And I went through this whole gambit and we don't have time for that. That's a, that's a whole nother yeah. conversation, but I ended up being on this reality TV show with six wide receivers and six DBs. And we battled it out. It was, it was a show by Michael Irvin called Fourth and Long with Michael Irvin. And the winner of this show got a chance to be, uh, to get a training camp roster spot for the Dallas Cowboys. And you go on this show, it was, we shot for two months and um, I ended up winning this show. After I win the show, the producers, actually his name is Jesse. Hit, funny part, the producer's name is Jesse and we share the same birthday. Wow. And uh, he goes, and he tells me, he goes, I don't think you realize what you've just done. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, remember, I had to fill out an application and fax it in. Like, that's how old it was, right? There wasn't no, like, no scanning email. I had to fax it in. And he says, we sent over 100,000 out. He said, I had to do an audition in Orlando. He said, between Orlando, Dallas, Ohio, and two in California, we auditioned over 20,000 people. Out of that 20,000, we picked 50. Out of that 50, we picked 12. Out of that 12, there was only one winner, and that was you. And so... I get to Dallas and um, I don't get my playbook until the day I get to training camp. And normally that's, that's, that's dead man walking. Right. And, 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 and that time where, uh, you know, they were cutting every couple of weeks. Um, it was only 80 men. It's 90 men now. Uh, and I ended up making, being out of football for two years, being poor, getting on training camp and making the practice squad that year where I made a hundred thousand dollars, right. In seven, 16 weeks. And then I had two more years on the active roster for the Cowboys. So, you know, I've, I've, I've been at the, I've been at the, the, the I've been at the, the pits in the Valley a lot, right. but I've also been at the mountaintop. All right. So we, David, I have to jump into the podcast because that's why he's on here. So basically why podcast? And you say you're doing four podcasts now. So yeah. let's talk just about the believe one real quick. Give us upset what's happened there. Yeah. yeah um, you know, this is the wave, right? Things now, you know, we, we, 
you guys, we're probably relatively all somewhere close in age. So, you know, when we when we came up, it was either like radio. Radio show, which I still radio have a radio. Shows. I still have a, this is on radio as well, man. <laughs> so this is the stop podcasting. Right. I'm, a, I'm a hybrid and television, but go ahead. Right, yeah. so that's what it was. It was like either you did like AM, FM radio or you did some sort of big network TV and there was no in between there, right? So it was like everyone was fighting for one of those two spots. Well, unlike athletics, you know, after a certain time, even if you play 20 years, you got to stop playing. The body just won't let you. But radio, I mean, guys do radio until they're 80 years old. They just don't quit. And same thing in TV. Uh, and, and and then, you know, when this podcast thing came around, it, it kind of gave you an opportunity to kind of be, um, you know, more without the big networks and kind of just do your own thing and not censor as much with the F FCC and so on and so forth. Um, and to be honest with you, this is kind of the, the 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 maybe not so humble thing is I'm really good at what I do. Like I'm really good at what I do. I, I think um, I think I'm an excellent storyteller, which is key. And I think I'm able to break the game down and give it to fans who may not be as familiar with football as you know uh, an advanced person. I think I, I think I present the game to them in a way that they can is digestible, uh, and, and I, I make the complexity of the game simple. And so I love doing it. It's 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 fun work. It's hard work, but it's easy work in the day. Um, and to be honest with you, people pay me to talk about football. It's what you and I would do okay. over you know over a glass of lemonade at the barbershop, or, exactly. you know, anywhere. And I'm like, yeah. they're gonna pay me for it. Sure, absolutely. All right, so we can check out the podcast and believe. What is the name of the podcast and believe? It's called uh, it's called Believe with the it's called Believe Cowboys with Jesse Holly. And then you have other three other podcasts. Where can yeah. people find information on all of them? Where can they go? So um, I'm having I'm starting my own my own actually my own podcast called Unfiltered uh, with Jesse Holly. I have another podcast that I do A to Z Sports, which I do the pre halftime and post game show with another guy named Will Steele. I'm on A to Z A T O Z Sports Dallas, and then I work for DallasCowboys.com where I do a weekly podcast with three time Super Bowl champion Nate Newton, a guy by the name of Shannon Gross, and a, a writer named Kurt Daniels. Uh, called Hanging with the Boys on DallasCowboys.com. Go figure. I leave Texas and now I know you. It's I, I have, <laughs> I'm one client. I never, I lived in Dallas for two years and never saw Sean Stasiak. He's a former WWE star and he, we were friends and we never met. And now, now I have a connection in Dallas, but I'll be back to Dallas. Trust me, bro. Come on. Come on. Oh, back. We appreciate Barbecue you. on me. Oh, yeah. Or you might be at Radio World with me in Vegas. So sounds good, oh, bro. Okay. Absolutely. And you get to meet the media giant. Good talking, man. Appreciate Jesse. God bless you guys. Thank you. All right. You're listening to watch the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. My co-host today is, again, David Hollenbach of Hollenbach Leadership. David, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guests. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. Thanks. For all right. All right. So we got, again, Frank DeVille. We talked to him before part two. And Lisa, again, we all know him from The Wire. And they are got a great song if you check out part one. But let's just jump right into it, Frank. You know, Thinking about specific music and all this stuff and collaboration, what have you learned from Lisa kind of doing this kind of back and forth from working together in the song and stuff? What do you learn? Uh, what have I learned from them? Yeah. Well, you know, it's a, a lot. No, you know, seriously, it's um, we might have touched on it last week, but, you know, anytime, you know, I always like to um, people can uh, always bring something new to the to the team, uh, you know, a new, uh, fresh set of ears. Uh, he's a really talented guy. He's got this, this, this rap, this flow, it's like sing rap kind of thing. So it really works well with this, with this song. So it brings a lot of that, you know, element. Um, you know, we actually are both East coast guys, but he's from Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. I'm from Philly. So we got the East coast thing, <laughs> you know, going on. So there's a lot that, uh, it's hard to say exactly what those things are, but you know, when I'm working with people in out here in LA, and people are there's a lot of people who come out here, you know, to live the dream. So they they bring with them their their cultural, their societal kind of things, you know, their tastes in music, and uh, so you know, it brings a lot to the table. All right, yeah. now David's the music guy. I'm the sports guy as I, he, we just had two sports ones. He likes sports as we've had some amazing major celebrities. Think about it in one hour, David, but go ahead, David, with your questions for these guys. I'm, I'm curious about, you know, how the, the family of funk came together. 
Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, um, uh, you know, a couple of us have been friends. Uh, Wayman is one of my closest friends. We have the same birthday. Wayman plays keys. Uh, we ha were in, not at the same time, but we were both, uh, Wayman was an original Gap Band member, you know, that, Charlie Wilson and Snoop Dogg. And I, of course, I toured with the Gap Band um, the, the very last round, 2016, 2017. So I, you know, had um, was a side artist, you know, guitarist, and also did some producing, in a, a lot of producing in the past. And so when the pandemic, you know, came around, um, you know, I was listening to some old tracks that uh, one of my uh, old writing producing partners had, um, you know, we had placed with uh, a YouTube channel and uh, Mia, one of our top, one of our singers, you know, started singing some of the, to, you know, top lining some of the, uh, to the track. And I was like, wow, that's really dope. And so we just kind of, it kind of just came together very organically, you know, and, and Wayman came up with the name, the family of funk. He's like, he always comes up with these little, like, like we have a bass player and he named him Dr. Slap. And, you know, it's just, you know, and when you're working with different about, you know, back again to what people bring to the, to the table, sometimes people look at you like um, they, they bring, they bring like their own unique thing, like working with uh, certain like R&B and hip hop cultures out in LA, they all have nicknames for each other. That's where my name, Mr. DeVille came from. And they don't even, Maybe they don't even know what my real name is. I don't know, but they just call me, you know, Mr. Deville. So it's just kind of um, these kind of things just came along organically. And Wayman obviously came up with the, the family of funk, and we started putting the band together. And we had a couple other different members, but once we started developing the sound, we kind of um, went with. Uh, I always liked the gospel type of drummer, so we got a real great, you know, uh, drummer with like a lot of gospel chops. We got Doctor Slap, who comes from a completely different, uh, you know, he's Israeli and, but he's got a great funk, you know, feel on the bass. Like, um, so that's kind of how it happened. We're basically a young band, but we have a lot of history with all of our members. Yeah. And so like, you know, we talk about specific things, Frank, about what you've been doing and all the different things of the music. What have you learned from the artist artists that you produce for that have added maybe some of that to the, to, to your, to your group? Have you learned some things from working with these other artists that in your, in your songwriting and things like that, that you're, that you add to some of the mix of what you're doing now? Yes, absolutely. You know, years ago I have, well, I have two mentors and one of them worked in A&R at Warner Brothers. And he said, Frank, if you want to be on the radio, you listen to the radio, you know? And I, when I came out here from Philly, I came more for, like from a little bit of a rock background, a little bit of, you know, disco and, and, and hip hop and things like that. And, and so when you're working on other people's records, you normally, you know, it's um, we worked when I say we, the, the team that I was working with, we worked sometimes 16, 18 hours a day perfecting our craft, working, you know, specifically for, you know, uh, major labels uh, to major production teams. And so you learn a lot about the business. When we put the family of funk together, we came with a business mindset. We didn't just put the band together to go out and do a bunch of shows, getting together specifically for a business mindset, coming up with a brand, a sellable, marketable brand, a marketable sound, marketable image, you know, because all those things um, are really very valuable. When I moved out here, I didn't, I had some, you know, experience in, I studied classical and jazz, but I didn't really know much about the business. So working in the business gave me a lot of insight into how to take a band and make it successful. You know, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it probably does. Good, David. Well, you mentioned you've got a background in, in jazz. Well, what, I studied jazz. Yes. What, what jazz artists had the most influence on your, on your style? Well, so when I studied classical and jazz, I wasn't, I didn't, I wanted to learn the idiom. Great players of that day were studying, you know, classical and, and my jazz guy that I studied with, uh, Joe Federico was like strictly like nothing else existed, but, but jazz, but he was one of the uh, original guys that transcribed Paganini for a lot of these rock guys that were out here. But I'm going to tell you some, you know, like 
the genius of someone like Django Reinhardt from the 40s, you know, and he was that gypsy guitar player. He played all that real fast stuff with just two fingers. And, um, you know, I just probably him the most, you know, I love, you know, I still read music out of the real book, you know, do some standards like Sioro uh, or, you know, which is trumpet, you know, or, or just uh, music by Herb Albert. You know, it's not, I don't know whether that's really jazz, but it's just, it's pop maybe with a jazz feel and, or like doing songs like Donna Lee, all those kind of standards. I just, I, I love the bebop feel. Yeah. That's great. Now, Lisa, let's talk about uh, specifically The Wire. I want to get to The Wire because that's why part two. Let's get to The Wire <laughs> and that experience. Now, Frank, were you a fan of The Wire when he was on it? I, I yes, but years. I don't. Even, when was that? When was that? Out? It was back. It's in Baltimore. We shot it in Baltimore. This is back in like two thousand three, two thousand four. I didn't get on there until like two thousand six, two thousand five. I want to say that. So tell I, us that kind of yeah go. Yeah, I owned uh, somebody. Um, I think I, I have the whole series, and I watched it from beginning to end, <laughs> way before I met this kid. This kid, sorry, way before I met this dude. So uh, tell us so, the experience. Of, yeah, yeah. So you were a fan. So I'm asking yeah. more about your experience on it. Tell us about how that worked and how did that happen? You get on, get on the show. Um. So at the time, I had just moved with my parents from Massachusetts to Maryland. Um, we met a, a woman who's still in, in, uh, based in the area called Linda Townsend Management, very well known in the area, um, and in the industry. And uh, I worked with her for a long time. She basically groomed me, um, when going on auditions, teaching me, you know, what's when, you know, proper etiquette, things to do, different techniques and things like that. Eventually I wound up getting the audition for the wire and I went, was all the way in Baltimore, which was an hour away. So I had to take off from school. My mom, you know, I had to come pick me up in the middle of class to go take me. And um, beforehand, my dad was telling me how much, how important it was and, um, you know, what kind of show it was. So they kind of gave me a breakdown. They sat me down. You know, we watched the show. Obviously, I'm 10 years old watching this rated MA TV show. So I'm, you know, I'm just sitting here like, oh, my God. Like, you know what I'm saying? So um, went to the audition. Um, you know, the writer Ed Burns was in the room along with Pat Moran, the casting director, and it just went really well. Uh, by the time I got back home, uh, they were calling us, letting us know we got the part. So that's how I got to be on it. So what, what, how much, what kind of role did you have on it? Uh, I played the role of Kennard. Um, he was basically part of, uh, Marlo Stanfield's crew, but as a, you know, one of the youngest members. And, um, you know, I was just a bad mouth kid, you know causing mischief, cussing people out. And um just like that. Not <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like that in real life. No, actually, yeah. Um but um but yeah um I'm what I'm most notable for. I don't know if you know if you guys haven't watched the show uh, for anybody listening that you know um if you haven't watched it or if you're watching it now, sorry spoiler alert, you might not want to listen, but I'm most notably known for shooting um Omar um in the drugstore in the last season, probably the most loved and most known character from the show. Uh, rest in peace, Michael K. Williams, my big brother. And uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes. Wow. Wow. Okay. Good, David. Your question. Uh, um, I'm, I'm curious about the concept of early in the morning and, and how, Frank, how did you come up with that? Well, okay. So, you know, when I was with the Gap Band, um, we, you know, all those great songs early in the morning, you dropped a bomb on me, you know, um, yearning for your love, outstanding. We just, I loved playing those, those songs. And, um, you know, when we put the band together, we have, you know, a lot of original material, but also, you know, doing remakes or covers, you know, can really be advantageous. You know, there's a saying, you know, covers create crowds. People hear something that they like. A song like that is, is, is absolutely timeless. And um, we actually have been working on it for a while, developing that sound. You know, we had worked, you know, with some uh, other teams, um, but it ended up kind of being like a throwback kind of sound. And again, when we're looking for something in the pop world or to be on terrestrial radio or for something to be significant, you have to look at what's current now, you know. And so, um, again, my longtime writing and producing partner, Lamar Van Sky, who's also one of my dear friends. Um, we went in the studio and, and uh, you know, cut the songs. We um, 
we brought the band in, we brought the, the singers in, um, a couple of the other musicians, and and we just you know made a, a like a funk disco pop version geared to like the twenty mid twenties to to forty year olds, you know, and so that's really where it's at right now, you know, TikTok videos, people are looking at a video or listening to a song for around two minutes. So it's got to hit them hard. It's got to let that beat. And that's that's what's happening right now. So that's what we did. We geared it strictly for that with, you know, mer um, merchandising, marketing plan. We have a strong, you know, PR team, great management team, Jeff Arcio, creative crew, who also manages uh, Liso and um, our, uh, our uh, PR, uh, Ruth Davis. They're all really excited about it. So some of these things actually, you know, being in the band, being um again i'm I, I sing and play guitar and we have two other two female leads a real strong female but then there's so much of the business is handled by creative crew and by ruth davis that you know behind the scenes to kind of market it so it's it's a great song people are really just loving loving our version of the track and it kind of does there's there's some similarities but also it's 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 very now it's very radio so what is your goal, YouTube, for your song? What do you, what, where do you want to see it go? <laughs> I'm trying to see it go crazy. Um, <laughs> I mean, I like, you know, I don't know if we had mentioned this before with um, the remix competition and everything. Even that I'm excited for mm. um, to see what other people wind up doing with it. You know, taking uh, the song and making it their own or, you know, making making us hear a part or making us hear something that we didn't hear before from, mm -hmm. the, from the original. So, um I hope it goes crazy. I hope it's something that everybody's playing. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be dope when people listen to it. I think they're going to enjoy it big time and it's going to make them dance for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah, it, it will. That's right. You know, this, this, this remix contest, we're really excited about it because we have some international DJs, international remixers, you know, people from other countries. Again, when you're collaborating, they bring something that you might not, a different direction you might not hear. And with new kind of remixing tools, techniques that could be, you know, younger, older. And so we're really excited about that. We've got um, major radio stations committed to playing it. We have, like I said, the marketing team that, you know, when you have a good musical product, a marketing team can support that. If you don't have a good music, it all comes down to the musical product. Yeah. So awesome. yeah, we're really stoked about it. Such great stuff. Best place people can connect with you guys. Go where? Uh, for me, um, you can find me on Instagram and I'm on threads too. Uh, it's T-H-U.L-I-S-O. And yeah, you can follow me there and find me there. So yes, uh, we're thefamilyfunk.net, thefamilyfunk.com. We're uh, uh, Facebook, The Family of Funk. We're The Family of Funk Instagram. And also my own you know, personal uh, uh, EPK is uh, frankdevillegreenfield.com. That's pretty much everything I've done for the past 20 years. It's all just, you know, boring, blah, blah, blah stuff. But <laughs> that's where you can find it. All right. We appreciate it, guys. Again, great part two. Appreciate you guys. And you're listening and watching the Thank new you. Show, And we'll be back in just a moment. We're kind of a, a little small, 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 small town. Uh, so we were number one uh, uh, state champion, small school. Uh, my senior year, but it, it was even before that. My brothers played there, and you know, there it was like a dynasty for us. <laughs> so it, it, every, everybody knew Pinyan was a was a football town because of the Collins family, and so uh, I, it was pretty cool growing up in, in that little small town. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I am doing fantastic, Neil. How are you? Good, good. For your Boston fans, especially, you know, your business located in the Boston region, they got to be a huge fan of our guest today. So New England Patriots all-star legend, Tony Collins. Tony, thanks for stopping by, man. And how about when you were part of the 80 run, you never thought that there'd be this dynasty with the Patriots, right? Did you ever think that, you know, going through working the way you work to get to the certain point, which is the Super Bowl, and then later on see the dynasty, which the Patriots end up creating? I mean, it was it was a lot of fun watching it. I tell you, uh, watching Brady do his thing. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, it, you never know what, what's going to happen. And uh, the, the, the years that I was there, uh, my my rookie season, we were two and 14. So we. <laughs> And so, and and then in you know my my third fourth year, 
make it to the Super Bowl. So um, a lot of people don't know that we were the first New England Patriot team to go to a Super Bowl. But uh, it, it's just incredible to see the dynasty that it is. And hopefully we can get it back running again. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so well, that, that's amazing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Greg, you will start out, Greg, with just finding out, do you always want to be a football player, Tony? Is that something growing up you want to be a football player? Oh, uh, man. So I'm from a big family. I don't know if you know how, how many. Uh, I'm from a family of 16. And so oh, wow. I, I have nine nine brothers. There were nine boys and seven girls. And all the boys, we all played sports. My father uh, actually uh, played in the Negro League. So we all played baseball. Uh, we all played football. We all played basketball. But our, our, our main uh, sport was football. And so every everybody in the family played football. And, uh, grew up in a, a small town in upstate New York. <laughs> I, I'll tell you how I got there later. So what but, small uh, town in upstate New York? Because my dad. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.